This week's guest is stand-up comedian, actor, writer, and owner of comedy's most mournful moustache, Mr. Michael Redmond. How are you, Michael? <laughs> I'm very well, thanks, Mark. <laughs> I'm getting more mournful as I get older. <laughs> um, obviously, you're a stand-up comedian by trade, so um, has the last year and a bit been tough for you? It kind of has in a way, but... Um... I fortunately got something else. There's a, have you ever heard of Cameo? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's an Irish version called Irishify.com. And they have um, a couple of, uh, well, about two or three other Father, Father Ted guys and a couple of Irish snooker players. You do sort of these um, video shout-outs, kind of celebrity video shout-outs. Say, you know, my character in Father Ted was Father Stone. Yeah. So if you need somebody that really liked Father Stone, you could send them a video from Father Stone saying happy birthday or happy anniversary or happy divorce or whatever, that kind of thing. <laughs> That's brilliant. I've kind of had that to keep me going, but I mean, it's not, you know, obviously it's nothing like sort of doing stand-up, but it's sort of, it's kind of filled in the gap for the time being, yeah. Yeah, keeping you busy at least. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's something, you know. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it is difficult though, yeah, because it's just, um, you know, it's not the same as going out and doing a gig, you know. Absolutely, yeah. You're also not really meeting other comedians or you know socialising in that way, so it's definitely not. Uh, it's not the same, but it's better than nothing, you know. Absolutely. I, I had um, Alex Lowe on. I don't know if you know Alex Lowe. He's a like, character comedian, and he says like he he he's been doing stuff on Zoom and whatever, and he says it's fine and it's it's fun and whatever. But the difference between performing to a tiny little camera and performing yeah. to an audience, it's like, it's yeah. not even close. It's, it's just a different thing altogether. I mean, it, you know, you can do some things on camera, but with, with stand-up on camera, it just doesn't, just doesn't work. You know? you're, not, you're not getting anything back, you know. Yeah. It's just, um, it's just like, a, it's just, it's just like um, experiencing every other time you've died on stage where you're getting no response. <laughs> So, I, I mean, I've done a few of them as well, but it's just, um, I don't think it works really, to be honest, you know. So, you're, you're living in Glasgow at the, at the moment. You, yeah, you lived there for 20. about 20 years, yeah. Yeah, well, in fact, it's longer, it's 19, 1998, yeah. Because um, obviously, because I, I, I associate you as an Irish comedian, but you, you came to, like, England quite early on in your career, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, there was, I mean, I, I did a little bit of stand-up in Ireland, but not very much. Really. This was in 1987, 86, in fact. So there wasn't really anything in Ireland at the time. A guy had opened up a comedy club near where I lived. It only lasted about six weeks, I think. And um, then I kind of did, I did a little bit of telly with Dermot Morgan. He had a sort of a sketch show that was eventually sort of scrapped on, on RT television. And I was involved in that, so because I knew Dermot long before Father Ted, you know. Yeah. Um, and then after that, there was just there was nothing there, so I just decided to go to London. Um, I did a little bit of stand up in Dublin, but not not very much. So I really started in London, doing stand up. And it was, it was it was so much easier then because um, there weren't that many comedians. There was only about thirty comedians. Now there's about thirty thousand. <laughs> so you could just ring up the just sort of got Time Out magazine and rang up all the clubs and look for. A, an open spot, and you could usually get an open spot within two or three weeks. Sometimes even the next day, you know. Yeah. Um, and if you did well, then you get a book booked within a couple of months. But I, I spoke to some, you know, up and coming comedians recently, and some of them 
<laughs> it takes about a year to get an open spot. Yeah. And then you can do well, it takes about another two years to get a booking, you know. So it must be horrible, you know. I just yeah. came in at the you know, I was just lucky. I think I just came in when, when there wasn't sort of uh, comedians everywhere, you know. Yeah, that's, that was like, you know, the sort of late 80s is that sort of time of, um, you know, alternative comedy, I suppose, wasn't it? You know, it was like the heyday of that. Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, it, had, it started before that you know, with, with kind of like Rick Mail and all those, and that was kind of Lexi Stale. That was kind of 83, 84, I think. But um, it hadn't really taken off, I don't think, at that time. Um, I just got in at the right time. And also my act kind of at the time really suited the comedy store because it was very much one-linerish. Yeah. Gag and kind of they liked me in the comedy store, so that was a good place to sort of like to be kind of the place to be, you know, if you you want you to be a stand up I think, you know. Yeah. It's because, like that you know, that sort of scene, that late eighties comedy scene, you know, you hear about lots of surreal acts and people doing really bizarre things. But yeah, yeah. you 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 sort of rocked up from Ireland and you do like gags, don't you? you do joke punchline gags? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I suppose that's a bit different as well. You know, there wasn't many other Irish comedians around then in London, I mean, or even anywhere, I think. Um, so I suppose I stood out a bit, you know. And then, like you say, you've got your style is very sort of deadpan, isn't it? You're, you, you almost <laughs> act like you're not in on the joke. Yeah, I mean, it kind of was then. It's not quite as deadpan. It still is deadpan rather than, you know, his ball. But yeah, it was very deadpan then. I would just, uh, I, used to have, I used to wear a Mac as well, kind of to create this sort of more of an oddball persona, really. It wasn't so much a character as a persona, I suppose. Yeah. So yeah, I would just come on stage wearing a Mac and sometimes carrying a plastic supermarket bag with nothing in it, and more of a cauliflower in it, that kind of thing. So you kind of knew at the minute I walked on stage that I was kind of an odd. <laughs> character you like so yeah best just to do a, deliver one liner and then um, I mean I didn't deliver, start to pause it wasn't a kind of a, a policy but kind of it sometimes took a few seconds for them to get the gag so I just I would do the gag and then just stare at them <laughs> and most of the time they did <laughs> that's kind of where the pausing came from I didn't sort of set out to pause just kind of just kind of sort of happened organically, I think. <laughs> yeah, and and it worked clearly, you know. It worked at the time. Yeah, I'm not sure we work so much anymore on the circuit. You know, people might think you've just forgotten your lines now. <laughs> do you do much circuit work now? Are, are you still well? Obviously not at the minute, but you know before. Yeah, well, I, well, I, I, mean, I do some of it. I mean, there's there's not that many clubs in in Scotland. I mean, there's there's a stand in Edinburgh and Glasgow. And I compare the I compare a show every where I used to compare every show every Sunday in the stand in Glasgow, and then I would occasionally do sets in Edinburgh and also the stand in Newcastle. And I've done gigs for you know the Glee Club they opened up in Glasgow as well, so oh. I've done a couple of them as well. So if there's anything going sort of up this area, I don't I don't really go down to London anymore, Manchester. I probably go as far as Newcastle, and that's probably been it really. Yeah, but yeah, but I mean, any of the gigs that are going. Sometimes just get gigs that kind of crop up every few months, and I do them as well. You know, and so you could say I do do the circuit, yeah. Yeah. But it's not as nothing like what I used to do in London, which was kind of five nights a week and sometimes two or three gigs each night. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have to travel in those days. It was all um, 
all the clubs were really in London, so I could just do gigs and go home every night. I didn't have to get in a train anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember one in Manchester. That was about it. It the the whole traveling around the country to do gigs for like 20 quid that that's a young man's game isn't it is the... yeah, i mean i wasn't even young then anyways <laughs> i don't think i would have done it if that was the case you know <laughs> so i was just kind of lucky i just came as i say i came at the right time to london it, is it because of uh is it because of your deadpan style that mm. you got cast as Father Stone. He's... Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, what happened was there was um, I was doing a gig in the Bloomsbury Theatre. It was an Irish, an Irish night, and I think um, I'm very sure Dylan Moran was on as well, and I think Art Lahanel was on the same bill. I can't, I, probably something else. I can't remember. Yeah. But I remember after the gig, these two guys came up to me. That were it was uh, Graham Linnan and Arthur Matthews. I didn't know them at the time, but they said they'd written a sitcom about priests on a an island off the coast of Ireland, and I thought, mm, sounds a bit crap. <laughs> <laughs> they said there might be a part for me in it. So I think, I know Arthur did have a, a, an uncle who was a similar sort of character as Father Stone. So I think they kind of had me in mind for it, and, and I kind of went for an audition. It wasn't really an audition. It was just kind of, I think Graham and Arthur was there, and also Jeffrey Perkins, the producer, I think it was more for Jeffrey Perkins. He wanted to see me. I think Graham and Arthur had kind of decided they wanted me, wanted me to do the, to play the part. But Graham, sorry, Jeffrey Perkins wanted me to, to just to read a few things. I think so. I remember telling me afterwards that um, when I read the line when Father Tense says to me, "So you will leave?" and I said, "Well, yeah, there's a fire." He said, "That's what convinced him that I'd be good for the part." <laughs> Because it's it it is such a you know it's an iconic episode, isn't it? Really, the Father yeah. Stone episode. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was also the thing is that when it uh, when we filmed that, that was only the second episode of the first series, so it hadn't um, got out on television yet. So nobody had any idea then of the of, of the impact it was going to have. You know. Yeah, that that's what because I, I watched it this week. You know, knowing I was going to speak to you, I, I rewatched that episode. Mm-hmm. And that shocked me how early it comes in the series. Where I was like, "Oh God!" It's I expected it to be series two or something. But yeah, it's not been repeated so many times. I think. Well, I mean, a lot of the episodes have. But I think that that episode has been repeated quite a lot as well. So, yeah. and also people think that I've been in, in in loads of speak to people. You know, the public. They think I've been in loads of episodes of Father Ted. because <laughs> they don't sort of think, "Oh, that's the same." They just sort of see you on kind of you know maybe just walking by television and they see on the screen again and they just think you've been in loads of episodes you know yeah do do, do you still get recognized as father stone do people still you know, you know yeah. stop you and talk you know because of that i don't know so even, occasionally if i'm doing gigs for people who come up and say you know maybe I want to photograph and ask me to say i'm fine into their video you know that kind of thing um I know people do. You can see people recognising you in the street, but they don't kind of necessarily stop you. Occasionally they do, but yeah. by and large, um, I, think it's, I think it's the thing of when you see somebody in the street that uh, looks familiar, you're not sure immediately where they're familiar from. You might think, oh, did I used to go to school with him or did I used to work with him? And, you know, because it's, so, it's very quick. It's just fleeting. Yeah. You know, so you're just kind of passing by. But, uh, yeah, if you're in a pub maybe or something like that and they've time to sort of think about it, then you kind of do get a bit more, yeah. I don't mind that. Yeah. It's better be ignored. <laughs> and uh, 
not that you got typecast or anything, but um, you also played a, a priest briefly in uh, the Decline episode of Brass Eye as well, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, forget the name. Forget the name of it. Is it? It's Jules Dune or something. It's something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, Father Jules Doolan, that's it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> did that that came after Father Ted or did that so I'm not actually sure. Can't remember, Mark, to be honest. Yeah. Could have been before Father Ted, actually. Not sure. But Can't remember. It's uh, it somewhere at the same time anyway. You've played you've played a few priests over the years, haven't you? It's uh I was in some other, yeah, some other film. I can't remember. <laughs> it, but it's it's not the worst thing to be top. I played the part of a bishop now in a Radio 4 comedy yeah. called Fags, Mags and Bags. So, yeah, I got promoted to <laughs> bishop. <laughs> I don't as, as long as the script's funny, I don't care, you know. Yeah. I, I don't mind. Um, if I'm dubbed as a cleric. <laughs> Maybe I'll make one one day. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, maybe it's an age thing. It's like you're, you know, priest for so many years. Like now you're at bishop level. Maybe as you get a little bit older, it'll be pope or like cardinal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, might get an Oscar playing a pope somewhere. <laughs> my my final fling. <laughs> and uh, you you're a you're a writer, aren't you? Is there, are you are you working on anything at the minute, or are you? I'm working on a script. I mean, I wrote a. Years ago, I wrote a sitcom for Radio 4 called Amen, Order, Brother of Jesus, which was um, was produced by a guy called Phil Clark, who later became head of Channel 4 comedy. I don't know whether you know him or not. Anyways, it kind of sounds like it's controversial, but it wasn't really. It was basically a, a classic sitcom about sibling rivalry, that, that Jesus had an older brother called Amen, who sort of didn't get a look in, really. He was just treated as the Egypt who worked in the carpentry shop. And it was kind of based on, it was based on sibling rivalry, but, but that your brother was. The Messiah, rather than just sort of more successful, <laughs> but um, it was due to go out. To, it was commissioned by a guy called Jonathan James Moore, who was head of Radio Four at the time, and we we recorded all the episodes and I wrote all the episodes and we recorded them all and I got paid for everything. And it was it was due to go out. I think I can't remember what time it was what time of the year it was. It was ninety five or ninety six, and uh, in the meantime, the Jonathan James Moore had been replaced as the commissioning. Head of Radio 4 by a Scottish Catholic who was looking through the Radio Times and he saw this Amor Order Brother of Jesus listed. <laughs> and he listened to it and said, I'm not having that on Radio 4. <laughs> it, it, got a, it got a slight airing on them. Um, Alan Davis had a Radio 1 show and it got bits and pieces where it sort of heard on that, but it never never actually went out on Radio 4, unfortunately. Oh. It's a shame. So, I mean, I kind of that's the only kind of sitcom I've written. I've written a couple of uh, sort of TV pilots based on that, but they never actually got through in the end. So, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I suppose I, I, in the sense that I'm a writer, in the sense that I write all my own gags, from my own, all my own stand-up gags. Yeah. Most, most stand-up comedians these days do anyway. So. Yeah. Well, I, I suppose that brings us to something else that I wanted to speak to you about, was yeah. um, Stuart Lee's routine about yes, you. Yeah. yeah. The thing about that is that um, it didn't matter too much at that time because I'd already done that gag on television. You know, so um, Joe Pasquale just looked like an idiot because it was already done on television. But I think there is a kind of a culture nowadays where 
I don't think necessarily comedians on television are, are deliberately ripping off circuit comedians, but I think they're because they have to produce DVDs every year. They're um, contracting writers who go to some of the comedy clubs and nick the gags. I think as I've heard of a few stories, I don't remember any names, but I know that there's a few circuit comedians have had their gigs gags ripped off by comedians on television, you know? Yeah. But it didn't matter to me because I said I'd already done it on television. But there's an interesting um, sort of story further to that. It was, about, it was a couple of years after Stuart had done all that thing. I turned on daytime television and there was a chat show on Des O'Connor. some chat show. I didn't turn on to see Des O'Connor. I just turned on television. <laughs> this chat show was on. But it was in the middle of an interview with this 16-year-old kid. And it became clear during the interview that the this kid went, hoped to be a comedian. And he asked, uh, asked him to tell him one of his gags. And he told one of my gags. And it turned out he was Joe Pasquale's son. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually true. No way. So it's come full circle. Yeah, they obviously have all my gags written up on their kitchen board. You know? They're clear, clearly big fans as a family. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, he, ch- he changed the gag slightly, but it was my gag. The gag was that um, I used to say, I like going into newsagent shops and saying, excuse me, is that Morris Bar for sale? And when he says yes, I say, okay, I might be back later. I still have a few other ones to see. Yeah. And he changed it to, um, <laughs> he changed it that he goes into Baker's and says, is that loaf for sale? But it's the exact same gag, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, I've seen, I've seen you do that gag, the... I'm just, I'm just, uh, uh, yeah, I've got a few others to look at. I might be back later. I've, I've seen you do that, guy. <laughs> yeah, it, but was, how, how did that feel that, like, another comedian was basically, you know, doing a whole routine in defence of you? Was, you know, is that a good feeling? Or? Oh, great, yeah, I mean, yeah, was, uh, I, was, I was well happy about it, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, and also, it was, it was very funny as well. The, the routine oh. was very funny. The whole thing he did about, you know, people seeing Joe Pasquale in the garden, they would just say, What's Joe Pasquale in the garden? You know, the, the whole sort of trust of it was as this strange character on stage saying, people often say to me, hey, you, what are you doing in my garden? But it, it didn't work for Joe Pasquale because they would just say, as Stuart says, what's Joe Pasquale doing in my garden? <laughs> but I mean, he, he denied that he, ripped it, that he ripped it off. I mean, I don't know. Once again, it could have been another writer gave it to him. You don't know. Yeah. But um, I, I don't think he's used any of my gags since. <laughs> But I mean, it's that um, thing that those those comedians they come from a different it's a different culture because I remember um, when I was still in London I was, uh, I was doing a gig, a gig somewhere it was in Liverpool I think one of those very rare gigs that I did outside London and it was a guy called Tim Clark who used to do the circuit as well he maybe still does but he he ran a gig in Liverpool for a while and he had a one of the mainstream comedians on I can't remember what the guy's name was. But after the gig, he came up to me and said, um, that gag you do, I can't remember what the gag, even what the gag was, he says, I, I, I'll use that. That, that. That's a really good gag. I really like that. And it was meant as a compliment. He wasn't sort of saying, you know, I'll rip that gag off you. Know, sort of saying, I like that gag so much, I'll be using it. And they didn't write their own gags. They just took gags that were sort of around. You know, they, they didn't sort of write their own material. I mean, maybe some of them did, I think. Yeah. Most of them just um, took gags that were kind of, most people would, you, you would hear in, in, in people telling in pubs, you know, that kind of thing. So it was a totally different culture. You know, you know I, I did stand up for about two years, uh, about 10 years ago. Like I dipped my toe in it and got out of it quite quickly. Oh, yeah. um, 
But yeah, it, it, it was so weird to see, you know, other sort of open spot comedians and mm-hmm. and, and either go, I know where you've taken that gag from or yeah, I yeah. know where you've taken that persona from. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of that too. Yeah. It's because yeah. it, it, I, I, I think, you know, I'd, I'd rather die on my ass with my own material no, than no, yeah. go down well yeah, with I, someone else. I don't feel anybody could get any sort of satisfaction about doing other people's material anyway. You know, I mean, I wouldn't. The satisfaction I get is sort of writing a gag and then going and do it on stage and it gets a laugh. You know, you kind of feel I've created that, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, I don't see, don't see the satisfaction of doing other people's material at all. No. It's very strange. The I, Irish Irish Fi is uh, yeah. is where we want to send people if they want a Father Stone shout yeah. out or yeah. Irishify.com, yeah. Irishify. I R I S H I F Y dot com, yeah. But it doesn't have to be Father Stone. I've got I've got a few as want, just want me to be Michael Redmond as well, so they can do Michael Redmond or Father Stone, yeah. But most of them are Father Stone because that's really what I'm well known for these yeah. days. Yeah. It's does that bother you at all? That like, no, really. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, it doesn't bother me that I am. I mean, I, I, I would prefer to have a bit more recognition for my stand-up, I suppose, but it doesn't bother me that uh, you know most people do recognise me because I understand the the power of television. It's the way it is, you know. Yeah. I mean, you don't stand up; you're doing it to 100, 150 people. But if you're on television, there's, there's millions, you know. So yeah. I understand why it is. It doesn't, doesn't doesn't irritate me or annoy me, no. Oh, that's good. But it, sometimes it's nice when people say, occasionally when they do come up and say, you know, well, I, I saw you doing your stand-up, I like your stand-up, and you're expecting them to do the Father Stone thing. You know? <laughs> it's kind of a nice relief in a way. But yeah. I, I, don't mind, I don't mind being recognised as Father Stone at all. No, it's fine. Okay, excellent. But, so, I remember the first time I was recognised. It, took, it takes a while before you kind of do get recognised. I mean, it was, I think it was a couple of years after it had been shown, because when it takes a few repeats, I think, before people start um, really sort of recognising. But uh, I remember the first time I was really recognised was um, I used to live in, when I was living in London, we lived above a restaurant because my girlfriend was manager of the restaurant. But there was, there was a hatch in the restaurant which led up to the, the flat and she used to, that's the way she used to come up at night after she finished work because it was a bit scary outside. But she rang me one evening and said um, she'd forgotten to take her cigarettes to work and she was just about to finish up work and she said, could I come to the hatch and drop her cigarettes down? But it was quite a small restaurant. There was, there was a table underneath the hatch. There was a couple sitting. So I went to the hatch and I, my girlfriend had got distracted in the meantime like, with another customer. So I opened the hatch quite noisily and I said, all you could just sort of see my sort of disembodied face peering down. And the guy who was at the table just looked up and he just looked for a few seconds and he just went, Jesus, it's Father Stone. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Imagine how surreal that would be to be like. But he was. It was his expression was. He was actually saying, "Jesus, it's Father Stone." You know, am I actually seeing this? Because the, I say, all you could really see was my face peering down. You couldn't see the rest of my body. Yeah? <laughs> because Father Stone's face was hovering over him. <laughs> That's the first time I remember really being recognised. You know? Yeah. Uh, Excellent. Uh, thank you ever so much for your time, Michael. I really appreciate you chatting to me. Sorry for the technical hitches, but it's probably my fault. That's no yeah. trouble at all. It's been a pleasure, mate, Joe. You have to bow yourself, Mark.